Hey, good Sunday morning. Happy Mother's Day to each of you. I hope you are excited about having a wonderful day today. And for those of you who your mom is, is alive and close to you, I hope that you're able to gather with her and tell her how important and precious that she is. I wish I had the opportunity this morning to be near my mom. Uh, not possible today, uh, but I've enjoyed many Mother's Days with my wonderful mom. And mom, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for who you are and for the way that you are a blessing to me. And every one of us, whether we had a, a wonderful mom or maybe a mom who, who didn't quite uh, fill the, the needs that we may have had, or, or, and whether you are, ladies, are a mom, or whether you're still uh, praying to be about being a mom or hoping that the Lord would, would provide a child for you, or if you've reached a point where you realize that that's not possible, uh, I'm praying that each and every one of you, in a very unique way, uh, truly sense an overpowering experience uh, of the love of God today. Uh, not just to know that he's with you, but that you feel uh, his arms around you. I know that uh, for some people, a Mother's Day is difficult because you remember a mom uh, that used to be with you and she is no longer here. And so I, as I know many of us celebrate Mother's Day, I realize there are those who, who carry uh, heavy burdens on this day. And so just want to remind all of us that uh, Romans chapter 8 reminds us that there is nothing that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that love is so overwhelmingly full, it provides for every need uh, that we have. Would you pray with me? And uh, then this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus's first miracle and how that first miracle of turning water into wine actually points us to his final moments on earth. But would you pray together with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning, uh, for the opportunity we have to open up your word, see your goodness, and uh, Lord, as, as much of uh, today is being celebrated and looking at moms, uh, we also are thankful, uh, Lord, for the Father that we have in God and uh, the all-encompassing love uh, that he provides to us. Pray that you'd uh, like open, open up our minds and open up our hearts uh, to your word. May your spirit uh, have free reign um, in everything that's shared today and also those who are receiving. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I know you may be wondering why we're recording a, serv a service. Well, we are actually having an outdoor service this morning. And so because of that, didn't know whether the, whether the audio quality would come through. So we wanted to be able to provide for you uh, a time from the Word of God. And if you're able to listen to it earlier, wonderful. If not, this is an opportunity for us just to simply provide it for you so that you can be enriched in the Word of God. So, so on this Mother's Day, we're going to simply be looking at the very first miracle performed by Jesus, and we're going to look at that one because it was one that he did with his mother at his side. And many of you may already know the story. It's found in the Gospel of John chapter 2, where Jesus is present at a wedding with both his mother and his disciples, and at some point during the wedding feast, the wedding celebration, they run out of wine. And, and sometimes these feasts would last for a week or so, and so uh, understandable that maybe they weren't prepared for it. But during the wedding feast, uh, knowing that they were out of wine, Mary stepped in, and as most mothers do, she tried to save the day. Uh, but she did it by volunteering her son. As, you know, there, there's been times where I know that uh, both my mom and my wife have, have, have had the great opportunity of seeing a need and then making sure that I was the one uh, to fill that. And so in some ways, Mary sees the need and she turns to Jesus and, and asks him to step in. And I want to read with you from John chapter number two, uh, verses one 
through 11, but we're not going to read all of it. I'm just going to look at the first four verses right now. It says this, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Okay, so like I know that if I would have responded to my mom with those words, woman, what does this have to do with me? Uh, I would be picking myself up off the floor, and uh, so would each of my children. <laughs> so when we look at what Jesus said, we have to understand a couple of things. First, he was not a child. He was an adult. Uh, second, we do know that Jesus already knows his mission uh, by this time in life, and he realizes his mission is, is not to fill water glasses, and we'll come back to that later. But, but also, we, knowing that Jesus never sinned, we realize that uh, this was not spoken in a disrespectful manner whatsoever. So taking all those things into, into understanding, and we're actually going to circle back to what Jesus says to his mom a little bit later on, but let's look at verse number five right now. It says this, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So keep this in mind. Mary does not know the mission of Jesus's life yet, but she does know who Jesus is. She knows that uh, his birth was announced by an angel. She knows that she gave birth to a child while still a virgin. And she also knows that he is the son of God, which is why Mary can very boldly point to Jesus and say, do whatever he tells you to do. Which, which reminds me, uh, if you were with us last Sunday, which reminds me so much of what Jeremiah said in chapter number 32, as Jeremiah had this worshipful worth of God when the word of God came to Jeremiah, he responded with immediate obedience. And it's like when we see who God truly is, anything God asks us to do, we respond with obedience. And, and really what we have to understand is that the people who are most obedient to the moving voice of God through his spirit in our lives are usually the ones who hold God in the highest worth. The greater we see God, the more obedient we will be to his word, which is why that a heart filled with worship is displayed through a life of immediate and extravagant obedience. If your heart is filled with worship of God, when the word of God comes, it's met with immediate and extravagant obedience. And now let's get into the miracle itself. And we're going to kind of read it through just verse by verse or so. Number six, verse six. It says, now there were six stone pots there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So, so Mary, again, says to the disciples, or says to the servants, do whatever he says. And so Jesus points at six large stone pots. And it says these pots are holding 20 to 30 gallons. It's where the Jews would wash their hands when they would enter somewhere. It's for their purification. So Jesus points at him. Look at verse number seven. He says to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. So think now, these jars are filled with dirty water from these hands being washed, and Jesus says, take clean water, fill it up to the brim. Verse 8, and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So Jesus adds water to the dirty water, and then he says, uh, take some water out, pour it in a cup, and take it to your boss, the master of the feast. And could you imagine being the servant who is walking with that first cup of wine to the man in charge to say, sir, here I have something for you. 
And it's so funny because John kind of makes a point that this guy has no idea what he's about to drink. Look at verse number 9. It says, When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, right? So, so this man has no idea where this wine is coming from, but the servants know exactly where it came from. But look at what his reaction is. It says, The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So he tastes this wine that's pulled from these dirty pots or these pots of dirty water, and he's astonished and says to the groom, like, you're holding out on me. Like, normally they start with the best wine, and once everybody's had their fill, they pull out the cheap imitation, but you did the opposite. You saved the best for last. And then look at how John concludes the miracle in verse 11. He says this, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So through this miracle, here's what we know. Jesus was not just filling cups. He was putting his glory on display. And when the disciples saw his glory, they believed, which is the exact purpose, right? When we see the person of Jesus through the power of God doing the work that God has asked him to do, we should be transformed just like these disciples into believing who he truly is. Okay, so that's, that's the basic layout of the miracle, but it leaves me with a couple of questions, and that's where I want to spend our time today. Here's my, here's my few questions. Why did the Holy Spirit move John to include this miracle in his gospel? See, John, at the end of, end of John's gospel, he says that if all the works of Jesus were to be written down in books, the world could not contain him. So we know that there are so many things Jesus did that we don't know about. Why is this included? I also wonder, why did Jesus respond the way he did to his mom? I also wonder, why did Jesus make that best quality of wine if the people were already filled and that wasn't necessarily their expectation? And then I also wonder, why did Jesus change the water in the stone pots instead of some other way? I mean, he could have made a pitcher pour out wine instead of water. He could have made the cup, you know, just completely refill on its own, like, like with Elijah's widow, how the, cup, the, the oil never ran, ran out in, in, in her pot. I mean, like, why does he take these stone pots and use them to, come for, to turn water, dirty water, into wine. And so that's, that's kind of where I want to spend my time. And we're going to answer those questions in, in reverse order. I want to first focus on the stone pots. Were the stone pots important? Absolutely. Remember, John points out that these pots were used for Jewish uh, purification. It's the washing of hands were very important to the Jewish people. I think it's in Matthew chapter 15, verse number two, where the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? See, the Pharisees equated washing of hands with the law of God. Therefore, if you washed your hands, you were righteous. So clean hands, clean heart. Dirty hands, dirty heart. Jesus would speak into that, though, when he would talk to this same group of men and call them whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. You're clean, white on the outside, but on the inside, uh, filled with, uh, with dead, deadness. So... But these men, or, I'm sorry, but Jesus points to these wash pots, and what we have to understand why they're important 
is because in his miracles, Jesus is not simply putting the power of God on display. He's also come to put the person of God on display, the very character of God. And what is God's character? God is a restorer. You know, from the Garden of Eden, when sin separated man from God, God has been pursuing man ever since then to restore the relationship. I mean, if you think about it, where did the, the idea of sacrifices for atonement come from? They came from God because God wanted sinful man still to have an opportunity to be at one, atonement, at one minute, atoned with a holy God. And so God comes up with this idea of atonement. And all throughout the Old Testament, God's power is on display in, in miracles for a direct purpose. I want to show my power by saving my people, punishing my enemies, in order for my people to want to return to me. You see this from Noah's flood through the Egyptian plagues, even when Elijah's at the top of a mountain calls fire down uh, from Mount Carmel. God's power is always on display to lead men to turn themselves back to this one true God. And when Jesus comes in the Old Testament, or Jesus comes in the New Testament, well, we see more of the same. He's still putting God's power on display, right? He's the creator of the world, and as the creator of the world, he's the controller of the world, which is why Jesus could do miraculous things. He could walk on water, he could calm the wind and the waves, he could multiply bread and fish, he could heal disease, because he was the creator of it all, so he was also the controller of it all. But remember, Jesus came to do more than just show off God's power. He came to show off God's person, God's character, his healing and restoring nature. And so think about Jesus' miracles. What he's doing when he's healing disease, he's not just removing disease, he's also restoring the relationship with that person's family that has been lost, that person's friends and their, and their temple and, and their society. He's restoring those relationships because that's a part of the character and the nature of God. Cleansing from disease, powerful, restoring relationships. This is person. It's his character. And by the time John sits down to pen his gospel, he fully understands what Jesus was doing. Because what we have to keep in mind is what we're reading here in John. John's not writing down this miracle at, the, at, at Cana as it's taking place. John doesn't pen his gospel until years after the miracle, years after Jesus has been crucified and buried and resurrected and ascended back to heaven. And by this time, John and the disciples have a full grasp of why Jesus came. What was his purpose? His purpose was to bring healing to the broken relationship between God and man. And he did that by changing the way men related to God. That's why John knows Jesus used these stone pots in this first miracle for a purpose. He was showing a better and a new way for men to relate with God and to have their relationship restored. Now, like, I know initially that doesn't make any sense. And Jesus uses stone pots that were used for purification that contained dirty, dirty water. He fills it up with more water, and then he says, take a drink, and it's wine. And you're like, wow, look at the power of God. Yes, we see the power of God on display, but if we're not careful, we're going to miss the person of God also on display in his restoring nature. 
I mean, think of me what the mission of Jesus was. He came to do away with the rituals of religion as a way to relate to God, to bring, the, to, to get away from the commands and the sacrifices, and he's bringing a new way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. So Jesus came to replace the rituals of religion with relationship through his death, shed blood, perfect life that is credited to us, Think about what the cross was all about. Jesus drank the bitter cup of God's wrath against the sins of men so that men could drink the sweet cup of God's blessings that were intended for his son, Jesus Christ. And so do you see? A little clearer now about what was happening in this miracle. These people are drinking their dirt. They're drinking their dirty water. And it should be bitter. But it actually tastes sweet and refreshing. And how is that possible? Because through this miracle, Jesus was displaying to them his very mission for coming to earth. That I can take your dirty mess and make it something sweet and beautiful. How? Oh, not by you going and cleaning your hands one more time, but through my blood. And if you would be willing to drink my blood, which may seem bitter to you, you will find it sweet and refreshing. And through my blood, I can replace religion with a relationship. And so think about that. They take dirty water and they drink it. Should be bitter. It turns to wine and it's sweet. And what was the representation of Jesus' blood throughout the New Testament? Why? These people are drinking their own dirt and yet they're being cleansed and refreshed through the wine that Jesus provides. It's important because religion can never change, or because religion can change what we do, but it can never change what we want. Religion only can clean us up on the outside like a hand washing. Only a relationship with Jesus coming down to the inside will transform our heart. And then it changes the inside. It changes our actual desires. See, coming to church is not going to change your addiction. It's not going to change your desire to always want more, or your need to always be noticed, or those deep-seated issues in your life. Going to church is an action. We don't need action. We need a transformation. A new heart. And that new heart only comes from a relationship with God that is only available through the blood of Jesus Christ. God knows a new heart is going to change your desires. Sure, you'll still be tempted with addictions and, and many other things, but your desires will be different. And when you want to please Christ more than you want to please yourself, it will work its way out in your life and your, well, your marriage would change, your, your ministry is going to change, your materialism is going to change. Ah, the blood of Jesus transforms us. And then what I find amazing is the reaction of that man who took the first drink. What did he say? You saved the best for last. I imagine as John's writing this, 
He's got a smile on his face because he knows that's exactly what God did to us in Jesus. For atonement, for the at-one-ment between sinful man and a holy God, God started with the law. And then he sent the gospel. Ha! He saved the best for last. The good news of the gospel is all about Jesus. And because of Jesus, we no longer have to relate to God through the law. We get to relate to God through the blood of Christ, through the perfect work and person of Jesus. He saved the best for last. And in Jesus, we find something so sweet and so refreshing that anything else in the world seems like a cheap imitation and will leave us completely unsatisfied. Because once you've had the best, nothing else is as good just recently i was with a man in our church whose whose wife passed away and he was telling me how she would always make one of three items every time there was a a church function or a picnic or a party that she would go to she'd make rice pudding a potato salad or or some sort of a of of a fruit jello salad and and um he was saying that one time he was at a friend's house and they they told him to have some potato salad and he tried it and uh they asked him did you like it and he said eh I've had better. Oh, yeah. See, once you've had the best, nothing else tastes as good. And once you've had grace, once you've tasted grace, the law just doesn't taste as good. Man, that's so awesome. This also helps us, though, understand why Jesus said what he did to Mary. He said, my hour is not yet come. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, John will use the word hour seven times as Jesus speaks, right? The last time is in John 17, 1. We call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus. When he goes to the Father, just hours before he goes to the cross, and John 17 opens with this statement, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. See, sitting at this wedding, Jesus knew his hour had not yet come. But through the miracle, he he showed the purpose of his coming, to turn a dirty mess into something beautiful and sweet. But he also said, what does this have to do with me? And when I read those words, here's what kind of just, you know, really gripped my heart. That Jesus realized he did not come to perform miracles just to make our life easier or make our life better. He didn't come to make, have a, do a miracle to fill a cup of empty, or a, a cup that is emptied, fill it with wine. No, he came to glorify the Father by laying down his life for men to enjoy an eternal relationship with God. So what does that teach me? It teaches me that God is not in the business of doing miracles just to make my life easier. God does miracles in order for his Father to be glorified. But yeah, how many of my prayers are all about making my life easier? Lord, take away this illness. Take away this problem. Give me a better job that has more money. When do we simply pray, God, glorify yourself in me? We've got to know, if you're going to pray that prayer, you don't get to tell God how to do it. Remember what Mary said, whatever he says, do, do. 
If you're going to pray, God, glorify yourself in me, we don't tell God how to glorify himself in us. We just simply say, God, glorify yourself in us. Whatever you say, I will do. Which helps us understand why John included this miracle in his gospel. Because you, you think of this picture, John says, t Jesus says, take these dirty pots of water, pour in new water, and go serve to drink. Well, that's just part of the miracle, right? No, no, it's, it wasn't just the miracle. Jesus was showing how we are changed today. See, what the Jews called purification, we as Christians today call sanctification, how we become more and more like Jesus. And, and here's the thing, if I were to ask you, how would you become more like Jesus you know what many people would say is that well, I need to stop doing this and I need to remove this from my life. But think about what Jesus did in this miracle. He didn't take the dirt out of the water. He didn't have them empty the pots. He simply said, go take those dirty pots and add water. You know what? That's how we change too. Many of us have, well, we have dirty lives. And you know how we often try to change it. We try to change our, our actions and well, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to stop doing that. But do you know how we actually should change? We take the crystal clear water of the gospel. We take the word of God. We take the spirit of God. We take the person of Jesus and we daily begin adding it to our life and little by little things change. And we continue to pour the word of God into our life. We continue to pour the goodness of God into our life. We continue to return day after day to the good news of who Jesus is. And we just keep adding it and adding it and adding it until one day we're going to look at our, at, our, at our dirty mess and say, holy cow, it's clear, it's clean. How did that ever happen? Oh, how did that happen? Well, I didn't do it. The Word of God did it. The Spirit of God did it. The person of God did it in my life as I continue to add daily. And so, man, may I just continue to let you, to, to, to encourage you to add more and more of Jesus daily to your life because the more of Jesus we have, the less sin will leave its mark. Finally, the question I want to leave you with today is who are you going to be like? The servants at the wedding or the disciples at the wedding. You see, the servants, they, they saw the miracle. No doubt they were absolutely amazed, but they missed the greater purpose of what Jesus did. He was showing how he could bring salvation. The disciples, though, they saw the miracle. They followed Christ. They watched the crucified and then heard the risen Jesus. And at some point they realized that miracle of turning water into wine was nothing more than pointing them to something far greater. And that was the person and the work of Jesus who can take their dirty life of sin and turn it into something sweet through his shed blood. You know, it can be very easy for us in our life to see the power of God but to miss the restoring nature of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Only when we turn to Jesus and place our faith and trust in what he did for us and not in what we could do for ourselves like the washing of our own hands will we ever find the restoration with God that God so desperately seeks and we so desperately need. But once we do, everything changes. So as we close, let me just ask you to examine your heart with this.
Are you trying to get to God through the works of your own hands rather than trusting in the work of Jesus? And if so, I would, would encourage you to repent, to realize that it is only through the person of Jesus will we ever have a relationship with the Father. Let me ask you, are you trying to clean out the bad in your life or try, trying to clean your life by taking out the bad or, or just putting in the good? When's the last time you, you spent a week in the Word of God or a month in the Word of God or spent time in prayer or were in a community that surrounded you and were pouring the goodness of Jesus into your life? It's not just about saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's more about saying what God is going to do in you when you open yourself up to receiving Him. And are you praying for God to make your life easier? Or would you consider praying for God to glorify himself in you? Just tell him however he works. He can work. And whatever he says, you will obey. So you're going to be like the servants, amazed but not moved, not transformed? Or are you going to be like the disciples who saw, who believed, and who followed Jesus for the rest of their life. Let me encourage you to be one of the disciples who turns your life over to Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture that you've given us in this first miracle. We see your final moments as you took the bitter cup of God's wrath to drink it so that we could then have the beautiful, sweet cup of God's blessings for the rest of our lives. Lord, it is through you that we enjoy a relationship with the Father. And Father, I pray that you'd continue to work in our hearts, that there's anyone who is trusting in themselves rather than trusting in you, for them to simply repent and be able to say, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I have to have Jesus. And I turn to Jesus and turn from my sin. Uh, Lord, may, may there be many who desire to do that. May there be those who, who are trying to remove sin by, by, by taking bad out. Just pour in the good. Pour in the preciousness of who Jesus is. And Father, may there be a multitude of Christians who wouldn't tell you how to work, but would just simply say, Father, glorify yourself in me, however you see fit. And Lord, through this, we would give you the praise we would give you the honor. We give you the glory. And may there be many disciples and many disciple makers come to follow you because we see you for who you truly are and respond with extravagant and immediate obedience. We love you, but I know it's only because you first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you have an absolutely wonderful Mother's Day. God bless.